the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic's Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour uh, right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, As usual, awesome Alan Dempsey does the engineering, and uh, Andrew Herdliska is our producer. Uh, Brian Jones joins me uh, from the Philadelphia area, founding senior pastor of Christ Church of the Valley, and his new book is out. It's called Finding Favor, God's Blessings Beyond Health, Wealth, and Happiness. Brian, nice to catch up with you, and I'm glad we could visit here. Well, Pat, thanks for having me on the show. It's a real privilege. You know, I've read a lot of your books, and and you're someone I've been uh, learning from from a distance for a long time. And so to get to be here is kind of surreal, to be perfectly honest. It's it's a real privilege. So thank you for having me on. Thank you, Brian. Favor with God. I think it's an interesting topic. Uh, How did you come around to write this book? Why was it important? It was important to me. I had a, um, a, a health uh, emergency scare season that lasted about five years. Mm. I developed a rare neurological condition in the back of my head, mm. and I uh, was put on anticonvulsion medicine. I saw three different specialists. I had over a five-year period of time a handful of surgeries, and I was wretched and miserable, and it made me think of... Uh, um, that, that verse in Job, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. And, uh, uh, so I, one, one day I just went down to my office in the basement, got down to my face before God. And I said, I need your mercy. And then began reading the Bible all over again. I landed on that passage in Jacob or in Genesis where Jacob wrestles with the angel. And he says, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. And I, I said, God, that that's where I am right now. I am, I'm on the brink of I feel death, and I need you to save me. And uh, that's what I did. I started praying that every day. God, I need your mercy. I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. And later on in the book of Hosea, it's interesting. Hosea talks about this passage in Genesis. And Hosea says that Jacob wrestled with an angel and begged for his favor. And I'm like, favor? What does that mean? And so basically during that whole one-year period of time, I studied God's favor and what it means. I had heard of God's favor usually from television evangelists and health and more preachers talking about how God wants us to bless us. But in my study of every single instance of God's favor throughout the Bible, I realized that, yeah, God does want to bless us sometimes. Sometimes he blesses us physically. Sometimes he blesses us financially. But there's a whole host of other ways he blesses us, and no one ever talks about those. And so that's why I wrote the book. I felt that there was a need for Christians to understand that when they ask God to bless them, he will intervene 
He promises that he will intervene. But the way he intervenes sometimes is very different from what they're asking. And so Christians will feel confused. They'll feel guilty. They'll feel like Satan's attacking them. When in reality, oh, God's blessing them. It's just not the blessing that they asked for. Uh, You open your book with the chapter simply called God's Favor. Uh, Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Well, uh, the story I just told you uh, yes. was basically uh, covered in that chapter. Yes. Uh, what I opened up with, however, was the idea that we all want to be successful in life. We all want to experience God's greatest blessings on our life, on our business, on our families, uh, and everything that we're doing. And so if we want God's greatest blessing, uh, we need to seek His favor. If, if success is what you want, favor is what you need to pray for. And then I go on to explain my, my story a little bit, Jacob, and then set up the rest of the book. You then move uh, to the second topic, involuntary perseverance. Uh, Brian, what is that? Right. So the Bible talks a lot about how we need to persevere. What happens when we want to quit? Like, we don't want to persevere, but God makes us persevere anyway. God won't let us quit. Like, undoubtedly, all along the I-4, there are a lot of people that have uh, gotten to work or driving, they're back and forth, and they want to quit their job. They've sent out resumes, they've, they've interviewed with people, and God won't open those doors. And they're like, God, I'm praying for you to bless me to get another job, but you're not doing it, when in reality, God is blessing them. Sort of like Moses. He didn't want, he, he confronted Pharaoh led God's people to the desert, and then when he was there, he prayed that God would kill him because he hated overseeing one million complaining people. And God's like, nah, I'm not going to let you quit. You're going to stick this out. And then uh, involuntary perseverance, I believe, is a very clear sign that God has blessed you. And what happens is that Christians will pray, I want out of this relationship. I want out of this job. I want to leave this area. I hate living here. There are all kinds of situations where we don't want to stay, and God says, I'm going to bless you and actually make you stay. Now, let's move to the next topic. It's called holy discontent. Uh, What is that, Brian? You know, um, this is actually the exact opposite. Um, You know, the uh, uh, situation where we find ourselves where we want to quit, there are times where we want to stay. We want to stay in a certain situation, and uh, God will put a burden on our heart to make us leave, and oftentimes it will break our heart. God will ask us to move to a different place. God will ask us to move to a different job. God will ask us to go seek a new group of friends. God will ask us to do all kinds of things, just like he did with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was pretty comfortable where he was. God puts an itch in his heart, you know, to go and uh, rebuild the walls and and lead the nation of Israel, and he's like pretty reluctant, you know, but he goes and he does it. And I think there are just a lot of people who are in that situation where they're comfortable. Things are fine. But God's like, mm, no, I'm going to call you to leave. I'm, so I'm going to give you some holy discontent in your heart, and oftentimes that's a sign of favor. And so what will happen is that Christians will pray, God, I'm asking you to bless me. I want to stay. And he's like, I am blessing you. I'm causing you to leave. Let's move to the next topic, intentional obscurity. You're going to have to fill us in on that. All right. So, uh, you know, intentional obscurity, I think a lot of us know 
you know, it's interesting. Uh, in every single survey, um, when, when students are asked, high school students and college students, what's the number one thing you want out of life? Number one answer, I want to be famous. Mm. People want to be famous. And we have like 24-7 little uh, reality TV shows on social media going nonstop. And so that's sort of built into our culture, where in Scripture, what God does when he wants to bless someone's life, sometimes, like Joseph, he'll stick them in a situation where he'll, he won't let anyone ever find out about them for a long period of time, because he's trying to do something in their life. And like, I'm trying to make it. I'm trying to get my break. I'm trying to get a promotion. I'm trying to get my boss to recognize my effort, and nothing seems to be happening. God, I want you to bless me. And he's like, listen, I am blessing you. I am keeping you in obscurity. I'm intentionally keeping you in obscurity. Like, I have a friend right now. He is one of the greatest singers I've ever been around. Amazing voice. He works at Costco mm. in Nashville, singing at night and on the weekend, trying to get his break, but he hasn't gotten his break yet. And it could be, a lot of people would say, oh, it's Satan. Satan is trying to keep you back. You just need to hang in there. Well, maybe God is holding him back. For a reason, for a season, we, we don't know. But oftentimes we get confused. We don't understand that that actually sometimes is a sign of God's blessing. Brian, I want you to talk about supernatural provision, which you write about next. You know, um, you know, it, it's not just, you know, God's blessing just isn't about the hard stuff. God sometimes intervenes. You know, God sometimes uh, turns around and... Uh, gives us a supernatural inter intervention. I mean, you've seen that in your life. I've seen it in my life. You know, Jesus tells us, ask, and it will be given to you. Speak, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. And I believe that. I believe that. And sometimes it's not what we want, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it is that job. And, and undoubtedly, there are people listening to this program right now, and and you're really sweating it. I mean, you really need God to come through, and you're begging him for his favor as well. And I just want you to know that sometimes he'll do that. My guest, and he's uh, joining us from the Philadelphia area, his name is Brian Jones. His book, Finding Favor, uh, we've got another segment with Brian right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. If you are an established author or just starting out on your writing journey, the Amplify Writing Conference is just for you. The Amplify Writing Conference is coming June 8th and 9th. It's a two-day Christian writers conference here in Orlando to give faith-filled creatives a megaphone through which to spread their message. If you are an established author or just starting out on your writing journey, you're invited to the Amplify Writing Conference. Two days of motivational and instructional workshops that will teach you how to write, publish, market, and sell your book. You'll get professional feedback on your manuscript idea, an opportunity 
to network with other authors and one-on-one consultations with book marketing experts, editors, and professional publishers. Join Dr. Larry Kefauver, best-selling author and editor, and Don Newman from Zulon Press for the Amplify Writing Conference June 8th and 9th. Register before the event and save. Go to AmplifyWritingConference.com. Use promo code RADIO for discounted registration. Go to AmplifyWritingConference.com. Use promo code RADIO for discounted registration. That's AmplifyWritingConference.com. Use promo code RADIO. Entrepreneurs, mark your calendars for the only business show on Christian Radio, Saturday at 2 p.m. Join former Hoverboard CEO, Dr. Roland Roberts, as he interviews world-renowned business owners and takes your calls to answer your most pressing business questions. Brent, welcome to Kingdompreneur Radio. What's your greatest struggle today? Uh, we're a small business out of Orlando here. Uh, we've got a uh, backpack company that we're trying to grow. See what the fuss is all about at www.kingdompreneurradio.com. And join Kingdompreneur Radio with Dr. Roland Roberts every Saturday afternoon, 2 p.m. Eastern on 94.9. 9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Hey, Kevin McCullough, how's your endurance? You know, for those really tough things that you go through and you feel like, ah, I just am at my wits end. Well, we've got encouragement for you coming up on the Uncontainable Podcast because Dr. Greg Laurie, Dr. Alistair Begg, and Dr. Philip DeCourcy all join us to tell us how we can and should endure through those uh, very difficult times. The power to endure on the next Uncontainable on ChristianRadio.com and this station's website. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Brian Jones is with us uh, from the Philadelphia area, talking about his new book, Finding Favor. Uh, Brian, we've arrived at the sixth topic I want you to tell us about. It's simply called bodily affliction. What does that mean? Well, I mean, this is this is controversial for some people. Some people don't think God would ever allow them to get sick. Like, it's never in the will of God for them to ever get sick. And I, I, one of the reasons I want people to read this book is to understand how God uses sickness. There are worse things in life than death. And so Scripture teaches us that um, Job, for instance, God allows him to be afflicted. Whether you say God caused it or allowed it, obviously Satan was involved there. How many times have you been in a situation, I've been in a situation, and we have gotten sick, or you have cancer, or I had occipital neuralgia and all kinds of surgeries and back issues and stuff like that? One, one way we can look at that is say is I, either it's Satan that's causing this or God, or God has abandoned me if that's how your theology works. Or it could be that God allows this to happen because something profound and powerful is going to come as a result. The, the people that we're going to touch, uh, the opportunity to change lives. And so sometimes we'll pray when we're sick, God, I need you to heal me. And he's like, listen, I am going to heal you. It's just going to be probably about 15 years from now when you enter glory. But right now, I'm not going to heal you, and that's going to be a blessing. And you're not going to see how why that's okay, probably until you're standing next to me and I can explain it. So in the meantime, I just need you to trust me. I need you to hold on. I need you to hang in there and understand that, that there's a greater purpose to what you're going through. I am blessing you. Let's talk about interpersonal intervention. Uh, explain that, Brian. 
Well, interpersonal invention, I call that. I call uh, Daniel 1-9 moments. You know, the Bible says that uh, uh, when Daniel uh, was taken away into Babylon, um, it says that, um, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo and Daniel uh, were, 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 they were being trained and fed royal food. And basically, they were being stripped of their identity and being brainwashed. And so the Bible says in Daniel 1.9, the Lord, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. God intervened right there in that situation. And one of the ways God gives us his favor, his blessing, is that he will literally change the minds and hearts of people. He will literally intervene. And that's very comforting right now to parents who have a struggling kid. And they keep praying and they keep praying and they're wondering, is God actually going to intervene and do anything? Or am I just talking to the air? And I just want you to know, listen, I don't, I don't, I don't care how many people are, are, are telling you just sort of give up hope. God's listening to your prayer and God will intervene. And um, that will be a tremendous blessing. If I just, whether it's a, you know, you have, you have people right now that are listening that have situations at work where they're having problems with the coworkers or boss. And isn't it, isn't it amazing how they start praying? I'm going to just give this to God. I'm going to start praying about this. Will you pray for the situation with me? And then boom, miraculously, like out of nowhere, this person changes. How do you explain that? You explain it because it's God's favor. So Daniel 1, 9 moment. Let's get to the topic of redemptive poverty. Uh, what, what does that mean, Brian? Well, redemptive poverty, uh, this is, a, a, depending on your theology, this could be something that, that you might struggle with. Um, oftentimes, when we pray for God's blessing, instead of Him providing supernaturally, what He'll do is He'll allow us to experience less. He'll, he'll allow us to experience poverty. It will allow us to experience a, a deprivation. For, so, for instance, in Deuteronomy 33, Moses is standing before God's people, and he, he has given them their ble- the big blessing before, he, um, before they go into the promised land. And he says, and he's going one by one down through the tribe. And he gets to Naphtali, Naphtali the tribe, and says, Naphtali will be abounding in the favor of the Lord, and they will um, settle to the southward of the lake. Which is, the, which is the Lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, which a thousand years later or so, Jesus shows up, and that's where his ministry is. Jesus stands there in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, in the Sermon on the Plain, and he looks out at all of the people who are living there. Now, this area was called by Josephus the ambition of nature, a, a lush, lush agricultural paradise where anything could grow. And so Nathalie was certainly blessed a thousand years ago, but by Jesus' time, the, he, the, um, the Jewish people called them the Am Ha'aret, the people of the land, the, the, basically the migrant workers who were picking up um, for a buck a day, you know, beans and that sort of thing, and throw them in baskets. They were poor people. They were laborers. These were the people Jesus was speaking to. And so in Luke chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus looks at them and says, Blessed are you who are poor. Now, Matthew says poor in spirit, but Luke says, blessed are you who are poor. And so there's a blessing oftentimes in our poverty. Like, 
Pat, I don't know about you, but man, when Lisa and I were first married, like we did, we, we it was fish sticks and macaroni and cheese. That was it, man. That's all mm-hmm. we could afford. You know, now, oh my gosh, like my kids are all, you know, in college or have gone through college. I have like, you know, five different cars in our family, all these used cars. I feel like I'm a, a manager of a used fleet of cars, you know, and mortgage and stress. And I need those things. They're all nice things. But there's a lot of stress that goes along with them as well. And sometimes when we're asking God to bless us, he'll say, okay. And then we won't get that raise. We won't get that house. We won't get those extra responsibilities. And that can be a blessing. Now, uh, Brian, it's time to talk about redemptive poverty. Yep. So, so we just covered redemptive poverty. Um, and if we're able to go to divine favor, can we do that? Well, it's called divine, con- divine confirmation. Divine confirmation. Uh, what does that mean? You know, divine confirmation essentially is that God, when you're asking God to confirm something, when you're asking God, God, give me a sign, I need some help. And, you know, there's a whole story of, of Gideon, basically, uh, you know, asking for God to reveal to him, yes or no, you know, red or yellow, left or right. Uh, and I think just a lot of people struggle with decision-making. And part of being favored by God is that we can reach out to him and say, listen, I need you to bless me. I need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're to do this thing or not to do this thing. For instance, we had our house on the market. Beautiful house. Great neighborhood. Should have sold instantly. We had 27 different showings. Now, the reason we did that is we had, we had, we, we put, we threw out a fleet. We said, God, uh, if you don't want us to move, don't let any of these showings go through. By, and by August 1st, we'll take that as confirmation from you that, that we shouldn't move. And so by August 1st, August 1st came around, and 27 different showings, not one offer on the house. Mm. Not one. And uh, there was another whole set of circumstances that happened that then led us to, to go in a different direction. And as it turned out, by not moving at that time and buying a different house that we wanted, we saved well, roughly about $75,000. Mm. And it was a tremendous blessing um, getting that confirmation. And God does that sometimes. What does strategic failure mean? How does that all fit? Well, um, you know, there's this verse in, in the book of Genesis 24.1. Now it says, now Abraham was an old man and the Lord had blessed him in every way. Now, when you read the book of Genesis, you realize that this guy's life was one blunder after another, you know, passes his wife off as his sister, you know, uh, has a a child on purpose with with his concubine. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And, and, you know, the Jewish scholar Maimonides in the 12th century said that there were 10 great tests that Abraham went through. And the majority of these tests were just, he, was, he just blew it. And, and oftentimes, what we're doing is we're asking, God, I need you to bless this project. God, I need you to bless this company. God, I need you to bless this book. God, I need you to bless this and this and this and this and this. And then it turns around and fails. And then we're asking ourselves this question, did you not hear me? Were you not listening? And he's like, oh, I heard you. I did bless you. It failed. 
And you'll, you'll, you'll see in, in a few years why this was important for you. You know, I've got the long-term perspective here. And oftentimes we'll go through situations, we'll pray for his blessing, we'll, we'll pray for his intervention, and it will not succeed. And then we'll turn around and we're like, oh my, like, that I, I can guarantee you, you look back on your life and you're like, you have a whole series of prayers. You're like, oh, thank God you did not answer those prayers. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Because if you had answered those prayers, I would have been in a completely different situation and a completely different scenario by you not, I, by you not answering those prayers, by you allowing me to, to fail and to learn and to grow. Um, I became the person that you wanted me to be. What are we to take from all this, Brian? I believe that if you read the scriptures and the chapters in the book Finding Favor, I believe it will eliminate the frustration, the anxiety, and the angst that we feel in our relationship with God. The majority of the time for Christians, they get up, they want to live their best life, their, the, God, the life that God is calling them to live, and they hit roadblocks, they hit interruptions, they trip, they fall. Good things happen, bad things happen. And there's just a tremendous amount of time wasted worrying and being anxious and blaming and second-guessing and feeling frustrated because we don't understand actually how God is blessing us. And so if we could just get that picture of how God wants to bless our lives and what it actually specifically looks like when he does, I believe it will be truly liberating for people. So that, to me, is what I'm hoping people get out of this book. I'm curious about how you ended up getting to the Philadelphia area, Brian, and and, uh, what's happening with your church today? What's going on? So uh, I became a Christian when I was 18. God put a dream on my heart to move to a major unchurched metro area. I, I felt that um, I also wanted to teach and, gra- and be a, a, a teach at a seminary to train pastors. Mm. Maybe I was going to do that full-time. Um, anyway, God, God made it clear that uh, I, w- I was going to be a pastor, but I went to Princeton Theological Seminary mm. uh, out here in the East Coast and uh, loved the area, very, very unchurched. And um, years proceeded. I, I then went and planted a church in Dayton, Ohio, and then I was just—I just felt called back to come here um, to to start a new church that would reach people that don't know Jesus yet. And so we came here in the year 2000. Didn't know anyone. Uh, started meeting in a movie theater, and um, uh, 18 years later, uh, we've seen 2,300 people come to Christ. We, gosh, planted 20 different churches around the world, and uh, God has God has assembled a pretty amazing group of people here. So we're really blessed that uh, uh, God, is, God is working and God is using us. And so we're excited about what's happening in Philadelphia and the way that God is working. So uh, it's just a real pl- privilege to be here. Do you feel like a Philadelphia now with cheesesteaks and tasty cakes and root for the Eagles and all year, that? First year, all of our people would wear Eagles jerseys to church. I'm like, what is going on here? They're crazy sports fans, as you know. Sure. As you know, the, the Eagles, Eagles jerseys, Sixers jerseys, Flyers jerseys. And, and I, I am definitely one of them now. I have converted. And uh, I tell you what, it's a good year to be a Philadelphia sports fan, that's for sure. So a lot of fun being here. 
Well, it's so nice to talk to you, Brian. Congrats on your book, Finding Favor. <clears throat> it's an important read. And Brian Jones, <clears throat> founding senior pastor of Christ Church of the Valley in Philadelphia, has been our guest. Stay with us. We've got more right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. And remember, faith comes by hearing. Back after this. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Once again, here's Pat. Brian Jones, our guest in that first half hour, talking about his book, Finding Favor. Uh, We go from the Philadelphia area to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and uh, we hook up with Buck Storm, uh, author of Finding Jesus in Israel, Worthy is the Publisher. Buck, thanks for joining me. How are you? I am absolutely great. Thank you for having me. Uh, Tell me about your first trip ever to Israel, Buck, and uh, what it meant to you. Well, my first trip to Israel, it's been, gosh, it's been a lot of years. Um, you know, that trip was really, really special. I, I'm a musician and a songwriter, a uh, longtime musician and a songwriter. I was invited to go to play music in Israel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a, a situation. My, my stepdad was, uh, was just in the last stages of cancer uh, as we were getting ready to leave. And so what happened with me was I had to fly down to Arizona where I grew up to uh, be with him, be with my mom just before we left and um we uh uh i literally uh sat by his bedside as he passed away and went to the went into the arms of the lord it's just a, just a wonderful guy and uh had to get on a plane come back get on another plane and head off for israel and so i was i was uh kind of uh in in the stages of, of just sort of uh uh grief that had to be put off for a while because we were in this whirlwind of of going you know and I remember the thing about that first trip that really stood out to me was being uh, after you know several days of this uh, you know kind of slamming through the country, uh, being at the Garden Tomb there just outside of the Damascus Gate and uh, listening to this elderly Scottish gentleman share his testimony mm. uh, of of coming to Jesus. And I'll tell you that that was one of the most profound spiritual moments of my life, sitting there and and knowing that. Because of that empty tomb that I had just walked out of, uh, you know, Christ's victory over death, my stepdad, Jerry, the, the tractor mechanic, the, the, just a simple guy that that, that just uh, had a great heart and uh, came to the Lord in his, in his last couple of years, actually, was in the presence of Jesus. And, and I, I remember that just, I'm not a crier, but I really, that was where I broke down and had just a profound moment with the Lord. But uh, that's one thing that really stands out for me from that first trip. Do you get the feeling that God is very present in uh, that place that you visit fr- uh, frequently? You know, I, I like to I like to believe that God is very present everywhere. You know, it doesn't really matter where. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, when you're in Israel, uh, especially Christians, um, I, I, those of us who have grown up with Bible stories and. Uh, you get there, and you're you're seeing the geography of the land, and you're and you're smelling the smells. You're seeing the sights. Uh, you're walking in places that you know have this incredible historical, uh, you know, story to tell. And uh, you have no really. I, I I believe that God draws. I remember having a conversation with a um, not a Christian, but with a, a 
religious Zionist there in the old city one time, and he said something that really uh, struck me. He said, if you're in Israel, then God has called you to Israel. It doesn't matter who you are, what your religious bent. If you're in Israel, God has called you here. And I really think that that's true. I think he, he calls and he draws, and yeah, you have no choice but to press into the Lord when you're there. It's it's, it's kind of in your face, and and, uh, and he, give, he gives you no quarter there, and I love that about Israel. What is it, Buck, about that land and the people that uh, keep you going back? Well, you know, for me, um, you know, there's, there's just something about being center stage uh, on, on this, for this drama that has been playing out for, for centuries, uh, for millennia, really, between God and man and Israel— is a place where you can't escape that. There's, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a struggle there. Uh, it's, you know, people, a lot of times people that haven't been, you've been to Israel, you mentioned, and, and a lot of people that haven't been there, they sort of think of it as this, uh, you know, this, um, this holy uh, Christian Mecca, spiritual Mecca, when really Israel is a very human place. It's a very secular place in a lot of ways. Um, but the struggle there between God and man, I think about Jacob's wrestling with the angel, you know, and, I, and uh, in the Old Testament there in Genesis. And I think that, that, you know, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. I think that's still going on in a lot of ways. Uh, Israel and, and, and God are in this great wrestling match, and, uh, and God is, is still making himself known to his people. And uh, I think Christians play a great part of that as we, as we go back. And so there's, there's part of that for me to go and just represent Christ. In a, in a place that desperately needs Jesus. Um, but, you know, the people there are wonderful, whether they be, uh, you know, I know a lot of Arabs. I think the Arabs, are, it's a wonderful and warm culture. I think Islam has uh, made a mess of that culture. But uh, the Jewish people are, are wonderful people when you, when you really get to know them. And, uh, you know, just that human struggle is a fascinating thing. For me, uh, there's so many stories there. I'm a writer, a songwriter, and, a, and, a, and an author, and there's so many stories there. It's just endless. I just love to be there. And then there's the chocolate croissants. That's that's the short uh, answer. Uh, uh. You, can't, you, can't, you can't get away from the chocolate croissants. You eat well on those trips, don't you? Yeah, I love the food in Israel. You know, I've got a friend, a pastor, that said it really well. He said, you know, you don't ever have to ask what's organic in Israel because, I mean, Israel is just organic. The food is, is wonderful. It's different, you know. Uh, and a lot of people I've been over with, you know, taken over or, or traveled with, you either love it or hate it. And I tend to love it. I just, you know, there's something about having salad for breakfast, uh, you know, along with, uh, you know, all the other wonderful things they have there. That's everything so fresh and great. I, yeah, I love it. I love the food there. Israeli breakfast. That's what I remember, Buck. Oh, Israeli breakfast. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Excellent. A little but- tomato sauce and, and uh, yeah. Buck, you tell quite a few amusing stories about the people you've encountered in your visits, your travels in Israel. Um, you got a favorite one you can tell us? Um, yeah, you know, well, I, gosh, that's you know, people ask that, and uh, there's so many. I mean, I've had so many interactions with people. Uh, one of my, gosh, one of my favorites, I think, was. Uh, just one of my favorite brief conversations was standing out on the boardwalk in Tiberias, which is up on the Sea of Galilee, uh, one night 
some of us were just out walking around and I was out kind of by myself. My wife was, I think she was ducked into a shop or something. And I had a guy, I saw this guy coming up the boardwalk, holding up two fingers. And, and uh, I thought he was kind of giving me the peace sign and I couldn't figure out what he was doing, but he was just sort of uh, this disheveled uh, Jewish character. And uh, he walked up and just sort of shouted at me. He said two things. And I, I was very confused, you know, and I said, okay, two things. And I'm, I'm always up for a conversation. And, and uh, he said, two things you can't mention in this conversation. And first of all, I didn't even know we were having a conversation, but apparently we were, you know. Mm. And he uh, basically, uh, he said, President Obama and Hillary Clinton. And I said, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of stay away from politics altogether with, you know, I, I, I've, my politics are Jesus. You know, I, I have, my, have my thoughts, but this guy was really eager to uh, engage. And so and then he immediately launches into a diatribe, of course, about Hillary Clinton and, and, and you know, uh, President Obama. And I said, well, you've already, you know, you've already broken three things. And then he said, and Bill Clinton, too. And I said, well, that's actually three things. And so we had a great conversation, but uh, it turned out he was a messianic Jew in the end. And, and uh, we had a great conversation. But, man, there's so many, so many um, uh, stories of, of, you know, and not all of them are humorous for me. Uh, some of the most uh, moving stories I've had are, are, you know, I'm, you know, sitting and talking to someone about, you know, their friends being killed in a terrorist bombing. Or uh, I remember uh, having a conversation with a, with a, with an old, you know, a, a soldier, of, you know, in the Golan Heights about some of the friends he'd lost up there, and you know, things like that. But uh, it's it's interesting once you take the time and sit down and, and talk with people, how much they're willing to share with you about their their struggles and 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 their their humor. I mean, you know. There's their day-to-day lives. People are endlessly entertaining to me. Um, my guest is Buck Storm. <laughs> His book is called Finding Jesus in Israel Through the Holy Land <clears throat> on the Road Less Traveled. <clears throat> of course, over here, Buck, we read about uh, what we would consider danger. Uh, do you feel that when you're in Israel? Uh, you know, a lot of people that, that do tours over there will tell you no. I, you know, I, I have felt uh, tension in Israel. I'm not gonna, not gonna sugarcoat it. What we see on the news, you know, when you when you're talking about American media, um, it's it's a tricky subject because you've got, you know, as you know, American media is is often um, kind of, uh, you know, subject matter is dictated by political talking points, and Israel is is one of the favorites, uh, you know, volleyballs to. to you know, bat back, you know, you know, back and forth over the political net. I think, but um, yeah, you know, uh, the interesting thing about when you when you are there, and especially, you know, when you're on the big tours, oftentimes, well, you guys are in Orlando, right? It, yeah. I, I sort of uh, can, you know, I sort of put it like, if if you, if you came to America and went to Disneyland, and that's all you saw. You know, a lot of times that's some of the big tours. When you get off the tours and you get out and really talk to people and, and get into the the uh, you know the day to day goings on. What you find is most people in Israel, the man on the street, what they really want is peace for their families. You know, they want to live in peace and, and happiness and, and health, just like we all do. And so you'll you'll see uh, Jews and Palestinians often working side by side. Uh, I've had you know I write in the book about a, a Jew and a Palestinian young young guys that that uh, work in a little. Um, you know, like a little forestry shack up in the north, and you know, selling tickets to some of the uh, the uh, parks lands up there, and they get along well. You know, and uh, it's funny. And but uh, you know, there's also you know, I have 
been places where people have been stabbed and, and uh, uh, you know, the detention can be very real. There are sometimes places you don't go. And, but the thing is, you know, uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And so we have, a, we have an enemy that is desperately set on uh, destroying the, uh, the world that God loves. And so that's what you see that there. I think Israel is very magnified in a lot of ways. You see the, the very, very best, and you see the very, very worst in some ways. It's an interesting thing. But, you know, I think uh, when, when we turn on the news here, it looks like everybody's waking up. You know, every, every Palestinian kid's waking up with a rock collection and running out to see who they can throw it at. And that's really not the case when you're there. You don't, you know, you almost rare, you rarely see anything like that. But uh, not to say that it's not there. Uh, tell me uh, your feelings about the Israeli guides, Buck. Well, I think the Israeli guides are the best guides in the world. Um, I, I've One thing I hear over and over again from people that have traveled to Israel is that uh, they've fallen in love with their guide. Uh, I remember, yeah. my I still remember the first trip we were, the, uh, the, our guide, his name was Ami, and uh, just was a wonderful guy. And uh, we we were all in love with him by the time we left, and you know he became, you know you're on a trip, you know day in and day out with these people, and uh, and they're really sharing their heart. A lot of the thing, you know, the thing about Israel that's so precious is uh, these people love their country. Uh, you know, when you you turn 18, you you go into the army to serve. Everybody does, so it's not it's very different in that way. Uh, no matter what your age, you are a patriot. And that really comes across with the guides to me. That's one thing I've really noticed with the guides is how much they love what they do. They love to talk about their country. They love to share the history. They love to share, uh, and not only the history, but a lot of times their personal lives and their personal struggles. You hear a lot from the guides, and uh, uh, they're just fantastic. That's one thing I've I've been so impressed with. Every every single guide I've worked with over there, and I have some that are personal friends that have uh, been guiding for years and years, and uh, they're just uh, they're just passionate about what they do and passionate about their country. So, yeah, the guides in Israel are the best in the world. And their knowledge, as I recall, Buck, is astounding of, of the Old Testament and the history of Israel. It's just astounding uh, to hear them teach. That was my reaction. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing, too. A lot of the, a lot of the Jewish guides who, who are, are not believers in, in uh, Jesus as the Messiah are even very well, probably more well-versed in the New Testament than many Christians, you know. Uh, but you know, in Israel, it's uh, you know, there's a lot of training. I mean, it's a college career mm-hmm. uh, uh, to become a guide. It's not a, it's not something they take lightly. This is a career. It's not like a summer job for a you know high school kid. These are people that have that have trained and studied and continue to study, and uh, and a lot of them have written books on the on this subject. You know, it's just uh, these guys are just brilliant, brilliant. Buck Storm is our guest from Idaho, uh, talking about his book, Finding Jesus in Israel. Uh, We've got another segment with Buck right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word, right here in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word. (laughs) 
If you are an established author or just starting out on your writing journey, the Amplify Writing Conference is just for you. The Amplify Writing Conference is coming June 8th and 9th. It's a two-day Christian writers conference here in Orlando to give faith-filled creatives a megaphone through which to spread their message. If you are an established author or just starting out on your writing journey, you're invited to the Amplify Writing Conference. Two days of motivational and instructional workshops that will teach you how to write, publish, market, and sell your book. You'll get professional feedback on your manuscript idea, an opportunity to network with other authors, and one-on-one consultations with book marketing experts, editors, and professional publishers. Join Dr. Larry Kefauver, best-selling author and editor, and Don Newman from Zulon Press for the Amplify Writing Conference June 8th and 9th. Register before the event and save. Go to AmplifyWritingConference.com. Use promo code RADIO for discounted registration. Go to AmplifyWritingConference.com. Use promo code RADIO for discounted registration. That's AmplifyWritingConference.com. Use promo code RADIO. Message and data rates may apply. Texting and rolls for recurring text messages. Nice game. Man, you're really playing hard today. Yeah, shows what a great night's sleep will do. You know, since I started using Z-Quiet for my snoring, there's no more waking up getting elbowed and no more moving to the couch in the middle of the night. You know, for the first time in years, the snoring's gone, and my wife and I both wake up feeling great. It's amazing, so easy to use, and it worked the very first night. I'm Dan Webster, co-founder of Z-Quiet. For years, I was off my game due to snoring. My wife Trina and I were desperate for a solution, and we found it with Z-Quiet. There's nothing better than waking up feeling rested, happy, and best of all, in the same bed. So if you're ready to score extra points in the bedroom, get Z-Quiet. Z-Quiet fits both men and women, and right now you can try it risk-free for a full 30 days for just $9.95. Just text SLEEP to 246810 or go to com. Text SLEEP to 246810 or go to com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Buck Storm is with us. Uh, his book, Finding Jesus in Israel. Uh, Buck, before we get off uh, the subject of the guides, uh, I've always felt that those are the most witnessed to people on earth, a, a bus full of Christians uh, seeing a Jewish guide, and they must be witness, you know, have f- their faith shared with them hundreds of times a year. Uh, what's your reaction to that? How do the guides handle that? Uh. That's a that's a, a really really good question, and uh, you know I think a lot of people jump jump onto a, a, a tour bus in Israel, and that guide is their first target. Of, hey, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm going to save a Jew, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I a lot of the guides I think have, have um, the guides are always polite. If you've been over there, you know the guides are always polite. They listen. Uh, sometimes they they sometimes I think they play along a little bit. And, uh, but, uh, it, it's, it, you know, there's a lot of well-meaning people that really are in love with Jesus and they want to share, especially when you really come to have a, this relationship over days, you know, it, in this little fishbowl, you know, this little, uh, microcosm of, of, of interaction with your guide, you really want them to, to know the Lord. Um, and I think a lot of them have become somewhat callous, but let me, let me, uh, not leave that on a sour note. I do know guides that have come to Jesus through, through the testimony really? of, um, of tourists and uh but it, it's the ones that i've heard the stories of uh and and know it's never been a an instant conversion it's always a uh, a, a very close um watch and, and uh and study of christians 
through, throughout years. And uh, especially the ones that maybe have an interaction with a certain pastor that uses the same guide over years and years um, that uh, and see and see a consistency in that pastor's walk or a consistency in uh, in his love for Christ and, and they see something in them that they need to have. And so, hey man, I, I say always share Christ. Uh, never 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 stop and, and don't be disappointed if your if your guide doesn't you know uh, get down on his knees and, and say the sinner's prayer at the end. But but I think that consistency of of sharing the love of Jesus, you know, not debating someone into Jesus, but to show them the love of Christ and the peace that comes with the knowledge of the, that that arm in arm walk with Jesus, has an impact on these people, you know, over time. So so I think it's, um, uh, you know, I, I've heard I've heard great um, great victory stories through through that too. So, Buck, do you think uh, Christians from around the world? Uh, on tours to Israel, is that the number one uh, industry in the nation of Israel? Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say definitively. I think it is, and, and I, I probably wrote about that and had a better handle on the facts when I, when I wrote this book. Uh, the industry and also exports, you know, the agriculture in Israel is is amazing. Um, you know, the Israelis are brilliant in their uh, the, the fact that they've taken a, what's essentially a desert and swamp and turn it into an agricultural mecca. So, you know, I remember being in Amsterdam one time in, in Holland, and they, you know, which is famous for their flowers, and uh, um, having a conversation with a guy that said that uh, most of their flowers they sell were imported from Israel, which uh. I thought was fascinating. You know, Israelis invented the drip system. You know, when we, the little drip system that we use in our gardens, Israelis invented that stuff. And, you know, they've taken a—you drive down into the Dead Sea area, and you see these these massive farm operations that are just growing out of the desert. It's just, it's just amazing. So I know that there's a, a lot of their, their commerce uh, comes through exports. I know their technical um, their technical uh, world is, is big, and so I know there's a lot there. But, yeah, I think tourism is probably the, pretty much their number one, I would guess. Buck, I want you to expand on the Israeli Air Force, the— uh... Israeli military, little nation tucked in there among all those big nations that want to wipe Israel off the face of the map. Um, uh, talk to me about the Air Force and the military and uh, how, how strong they are. Well, you know, they say that the uh, Israeli military is, you know, and the IDF, they're, they're one of the greatest military forces on the planet. And I, I believe it, you know, it, it's an amazing thing when you go, you know, you hear about Israel, and uh, you, when you go over there and you realize that you can dunk the whole thing underwater in, you know, uh, Lake Michigan. It's 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 not a big country, and you can drive it stem to stern very quickly. But like you said, uh, you've got, you know, Egypt to the south. You've got Lebanon and Syria to the north. Uh, uh, you, you see what's going on in Syria right now. You look at the news. Gosh, it's like reading the Old Testament. You've got Gog and Magog up there rattling, rattling his sword, and you— Israel has no no choice but to uh, be the very very best at what they do. And you know, I, one thing I think I, I don't want to discount either. You know, if you go back and look at some of the history, and I'm not a political military expert by any means. I know people that that really are. But um, one thing that amazes me, you know, if you look back at the stories of the pioneers just after you know um, Israel was officially declared uh, a, a sovereign nation. Back in '48, and, and uh, I mean, when when they were attacked from all sides, you really had a handful of pioneers uh, there that that you know fought and were victorious. 
And so when you talk about the Israeli military, um, you hear story after story. Uh, gosh, go back even into the Old Testament, and you have to say, well, there's got to be something spiritual here happening, too, because some of these victories are so decisive and so amazing and so miraculous that you know you have to see God's hand in it. And so uh, when I think when you talk about the Israeli military, and I'm not saying that this this is a perfect nation that is is righteous before the Lord, because they're not. They're human like everyone else, and, and it's very secular in many ways. But God has a plan for that country, and so he defends it just like the Israeli military does. But, yeah, the IDF, you know, when, when you talk about, uh, uh, I think there's something to be said for patriotism. You know, these kids are, you know, when you're over there and you were there, you see these, these young kids walking around with their machine guns, and, you know, they, they're uh, most of the time they're out on field trips. When, they, when you, you are conscripted into the Army when you're 18, male or female, um, and they, the first thing you do is you go, you, you travel around the country and you see things. Uh, you see sites. You see they take you. They take these kids to the Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial um, Museum, mm-hmm. uh, and they see what they're fighting for. And so it instills a patriotism in these people that that is, I think, uh, bar none in the world. I mean, these these guys know what they're fighting for. And so, yeah, I think, uh, and and also Israel. I don't mean to ramble, but Israel, the the, the Israeli. Um, in, in technology, they're so brilliant. I mean, I've heard that they're the only ones that have taken American planes and actually improved upon them, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just an amazing, uh, amazing fighting force. That's one reason when you're in Israel, you don't worry a whole lot because you know you've got the IDF there and the Israeli Air Force, you know, protecting you. Buck Storm, our guest, author of Finding Jesus in Israel. Buck, you write beautifully about the well, experience you. of being where Jesus stood as he spoke uh, to his disciples. Uh, can you describe what it's like being in such a holy place? What was that like? Well, you know, um, I think the, the probably the passage that you're talking about in the book, um, uh, where Jesus talked to his disciples, uh, the, probably Caesarea Maritima, mm-hmm. way up in north, and, uh, what, which is probably, I would say, I love northern Israel. It's just beautiful. Um, you know, in the spring, it's like being in Ireland. It's just gorgeous up there. Everything's in bloom. And Caesarea Maritima was a, a, a pretty amazing place. Uh, it, it still is, but I can only imagine it in, in, in you know in the first century, or early first century, when Jesus was up there with his disciples. It was a Roman city, uh, as you know, and uh, they had a. If, if you stand there today, you can look up at this cliff face. It's, it's a big spring that comes out there. That one of the four springs that feeds the Jordan River. And uh, you look up at the cliff face, and there's a lot of uh, little uh, niches and, um, you know, places where the the Romans at the time had all these gods that were placed up there. And this is a, it was a worship place. And then they had a big, uh, uh, there's a cave there that where the spring used to well up out of. It doesn't anymore. It's just in front of it. But there was a big temple built out of marble there. And uh, there, there would be sacrifices, sometimes human sacrifices, animal sacrifices, into the water uh, there in this temple. And they believed that that was the gate to hell, is what the what the um, the religious uh, the opinion of the day was that that was the gate to hell. And Jesus stood there uh, next to that place, and I think it's one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible. When you really, especially when you go there and you stand there and you understand what he was saying, uh, and he asked his disciples, he said, "Who do people say that I am?" You probably remember the the um, the story. My guest has been Buck Storm author of Finding Jesus in Israel. 
We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO of Wesley Financial Group and timeshare cancellation advocate. I was sued by the largest timeshare company in federal court for simply helping people cancel their timeshare that they had been lied to about. The jury sized me up and came back with a verdict after only 20 minutes. And yes, I won. My husband and I are more than grateful to everyone at Wesley Financial Group. You know, thanks to Chuck and his team, we feel as though a weight has been lifted and we can move on without the worry of a troublesome timeshare. Whether you owe ten dollars to $250,000 on your timeshare, it's my mission to get you out of your timeshare, eliminate your payments, and get them off your back permanently. And we proudly hold an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Want to learn more about getting rid of your troublesome timeshare? Call Wesley Financial Group now for your free consultation. Call 800-902-5454. That's 800- 800-902-5454 You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Thanks for joining us, folks, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Brian Jones, uh, in his book, uh, Finding Favor, he was our guest in the first segment from Philadelphia, and then Buck Storm joined us uh, from way out in Idaho, and we talked about his trips to Israel, finding Jesus in Israel. Uh, please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. And my most recent book is out. It's called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Team, as we take a look at John Wooden and his summer camps. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, the book's available in bookstores. and. Amazon.com, always a wonderful way to order books as well. I hope you have a wonderful day in church tomorrow and a terrific week ahead. And then we'll be back for more the next weekend on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.